Hi, this is Pastor Chris May, and I want to thank you for tuning in to the Real Life Community Church podcast. We are currently in a verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Peter. We're calling this series, Lessons for Living as Misfits. If we live according to biblical values and principles, you and I will feel like misfits in this world. I hope this message is a great encouragement to you, and I hope it challenges you to just live your life for the glory of Christ, no matter what circumstances you might face. God bless you. Thanks for listening. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And it begins with us. What will be the outcome for those, if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord and you may be seated. Deeply ingrained in my theology is the, uh, the belief that the Christian life should be filled with great joy. Like how many believe we ought to be a joy-filled people? Psalm 1611 says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is Fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There are depths of joy and contentment that are only available to those who know the Lord and who walk with Him. It's a joy that unregenerate people cannot experience. We ought to be a joy-filled people. I believe that. Yet... I also believe that the Bible teaches that the Christian life is a road marked with great hardships. The Apostle Paul, as it's recorded in Acts 14.22, he's going around and he's encouraging and discipling new believers. And here's what he tells them. Through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. Just consider the words of Jesus He says this in John 10.10. We love this verse, right? The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. How many believe that the Christian should enjoy the abundant life? I believe that. But yet Jesus turns around and He says this, Matthew 7.14, For the gate is narrow, and watch this, the way is hard or difficult, That leads to life. Those who find it are few. So which is it? 
Is the Christian life supposed to be one of great joy? Or is it supposed to be one of great tribulation? You know my answer? Yes. It is both. It is a life of great joy and it is a life of great tribulation. So we've been moving verse by verse through 1 Peter, which is written, as you know, to Christians who are scattered throughout northern Asia Minor. Um, They're living in very pagan communities amongst very pagan people. And they are experiencing persecution because of their faith. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes this letter to encourage them because they feel like misfits. They're facing persecution. And so this letter, this book, 1 Peter, has become a great encouragement to all of us who on any level will face, face persecution owing to our faith. So in our text today, in, in light of the subject of persecution and Christian suffering, we find this odd command. Here it is. Peter writes, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. What? Rejoice in suffering? This is not an isolated thought in the Bible. Romans 5, 3, uh, 3-5, through 5, this is the Apostle Paul now. He writes, We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. James 1, 2, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. James takes this beyond even persecution. He says, whatever trial you face as a Christian, count it joy. So here's the point I want to show you today. Ready? The Christian road marked with suffering and the road of genuine eternal joy, it's the same road. We know this from the Scriptures and we know it from experience. I have never, that I remember in all my years of ministry, I've never heard anybody say, Pastor, you know, the time that in my life that I experienced the greatest amount of spiritual growth was when I was perfectly healthy and my family was getting along And, you know, life was just great. I've never, that I remember, I never have had that happen. I've never had anybody say to me, you know what, when I sensed most the nearness of the Lord, it was when everything was great. Almost without exception, it is this. Pastor, I went through a really tough time, but I've never felt the sweetness of the presence of the Lord like that. How many can just attest to that reality? John Piper tells the story of a man by the name of Bernie May. And when Bernie was the head of Wycliffe Bible Translators, he visited a young family in a Muslim nation. They had been there three years working with a people group of about 100,000 people who have no knowledge of Jesus Christ. This couple had three children under five years old. The baby was covered with pox marks, some of which looked infected. Bernie asked if the child had chicken pox. No, these are ant bites, the mother replied. We can't keep the ants off of him. Eventually, he'll become immune to them. In a moment of honesty, this mother confessed that she felt guilty. Get this, because she was suffering from stress. Stress! She and her young husband came from mid-USA. Now they live in a place where the temperature is above 100 degrees consistently. The children are covered with bites. A war is going on close by. Their helpers are in danger. 
for being their friends. Many in the villages are suffering from hunger and disease. So they can't even let their supporters know what they're doing so that they can pray for them since they are in a critical area. And she feels guilty because she's under stress. Bernie told her, she, he, he said, she had every right to feel stressful. He said, I've only been here three days and I was already becoming unglued. And here's what he writes about this family. This dedicated young couple are laughing and joking and filled with the joy of the Lord. Our text today shows us, friends, how we can be like that. Yea, it even commands us to live like that. On the road marked with suffering that we would be filled with great joy. So I'm going to move through these quickly. But let me give you six reasons why Christians can rejoice in suffering. Six reasons we can rejoice in suffering. Number one, we can rejoice in suffering because, get this, our suffering has purpose. If you were going to go through something, how many want there to be a reason for it? Like, I don't want there just to be meaningless suffering. Like, if I'm going to go through a hard time, I want it to produce some good. Am I alone? We want that, and we have that as Christians. Verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to, watch this, test you as though something strange were happening to you. One of the reasons that we can rejoice in suffering is that we can be assured here it has purpose. Peter says it's coming to test us. So we should not be surprised when it happens. Many Christians today are shocked, absolutely shocked, when anything bad happens to them. Often because they've been fed an Americanized gospel that says, come to Jesus, all your dreams will come true, your problems will go away. Friends, that's not the gospel. Suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. The Christian faith, hear me, is not trust Jesus and you will be shielded from the troubles of this world. Let me tell you what the Christian faith is. The Christian faith is repent, believe the gospel, and receive Jesus' grace, be filled with His Spirit, and He is enough regardless of what comes your way. That's why we can have joy in any season, any situation. Let's just compare verses 12 and 17. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial, verse 12, when it comes upon you to test you. What is this testing? What do you mean you're testing us with suffering? If you go down to verse 17, it says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Now the phrase about judgment beginning with God's household alludes to Malachi 3, 1 through 4, where the Lord purifies His people. God's judgment, hear me, on the church is not a punitive judgment. It is not meant to destroy us. The fiery trial that we see in verse 12 is not meant to consume us. It is a proving and it is a purifying fire. You know what the Lord is doing through suffering? He is conforming us. He is molding us to the image of Christ. That we might day by day, day grow in our Christian walk and be more like Him. He does it through this testing process, this fiery trial. In the parable of the sower, you may remember that, Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel that the seed that's falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the Word and once receives it with joy. But verse 21 says this, But since they have no root, 
The gospel's really not taken hold. This faith is a sham. They have no root. They last only a short time. How many know people who have had that experience? They come to the altar, they cry their eyes out, I'm going to give it all to Jesus, but then you don't see them a month later. And here's why this happens. It says, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So this is a, the, the, the fire, it's a testing, the, the, the trial, it's a testing, it's a proving fire. It's a purifying fire. So this is the first reason we can rejoice in suffering. It has purpose. Number two, we can rejoice in suffering because in Christian suffering, our assurance is increased. All right? Our assurance is increased. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Christian suffering is an indication that you and I belong to Jesus. It ought to strengthen our faith, not destroy our faith. You know, maybe you grew up like a lot of people in different churches around this area that you never knew from day to day if you were saved or not. That's just a horrible feeling. You stub your toe and say a bad word, the, the preacher's telling you if you don't confess it right then... You're going to the bad place, right? You're going to hell, right? And, and so you're just always like, man, this, this love of Jesus, it's so f- fragile. No, it's not. That cross is not that fragile. You're in His family. You're a son or a daughter of God. He wants real followers of Jesus, hear me, to have assurance of salvation. But what we don't want is to give people a false assurance. People who are living however they want all of the time and just being like, well, I know that I'm going to heaven. Well, you might want to read the Bible because you might not be, right? Like people who we know don't have that relationship with Christ, aren't serving the Lord. I don't want them to have a false assurance. But for real followers of Jesus, suffering helps us have this increased sense of assurance. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will, will be persecuted. Different levels in different parts of the, the world and different times throughout our history, but all of us on some level, according to this Scripture, and I would argue many others in the New Testament, declare that we will, if we're truly following Christ, we will experience persecution. You know why this is? Because people who live in the dark hate the light. We've talked about this. And when you stand up for truth and biblical values in our very loose culture, people will hate you. I promise you. But it is okay. I don't don't look for that. But if it means lovingly telling people the truth, so be it. It's a part of the Christian life. And when this happens, you you ought to know, hey, if I'm suffering with Him because I'm standing up for truth, that's just a sign that I belong to Jesus, that I'm united with Him. Here's what he's saying here. Rejoicing in suffering is a prelude to the rejoicing that will happen when Jesus returns. If you can endure suffering now for your faith and you can rejoice even when people are calling you a bigot and a hater and closed-minded and all of these things and you can stand and just say, oh, not retaliate, not hate those people, but love them. And you can have, I'm not talking about a heel-clicking kind of cheap joy, happiness. I'm talking about deep-seated joy even in the midst of pain. 
You can know, hey, one day this joy is going to be magnified infinitely when Jesus returns. I can rejoice now and I know I'm going to rejoice when He returns. Christian suffering gives us an assurance. Number three, we can rejoice in suffering because in suffering we experience a special nearness of the Lord. Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. When you travel the road marked with suffering, the Lord's presence is there in a special way to sustain you. It's there in a special way to comfort you. Please don't miss this. Listen up. It is often in the darkest times that we then feel the sweetness, the sweetness of God's presence. It is often in the valley that we truly, real followers of Jesus, in the valley, we truly realize that He's with us and, and we know, like Paul, that His grace is sufficient. And we know, like David, in the valley, that His rod and His staff truly comfort us. Andrew Rutherford said these words, The Lord keeps His finest wine in the cellar of affliction. Think about that. There are depths to the Christian life that are only experienced in suffering. Rachel Gary, one of our faithful church members, just went through a massive surgery. And I've just been so encouraged by her faith through this. And I asked her if I could share this, by the way. To watch her not run from God during this time or be mad or be bitter, but run to God and glorify Him in the midst of it is mind-blowing. She texted me the other day, and here's what her words about this experience. She said, I wouldn't wish the valleys of my life on anyone, but I wouldn't trade them either. The tangible presence of Jesus in those moments, priceless. There is a special presence of God when you go through the valley. You just don't experience. I mean, we, we, in any other part of life, listen, any other season of life, we, we can always experience God's presence. But how many can attest that in the valley, again, His presence is so sweet. Number four, we can rejoice in suffering because our suffering is a means of glorifying God. Verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. In other words, if you're sinning and suffering, don't say you're suffering for Jesus. You're suffering because you're being dumb, all right? Just saying. Touch your neighbor and say he's talking to you. Verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Our purpose in life, everybody's looking for purpose. You know what your purpose is? It's the same as mine. It's to glorify God. Paul said, whether eating or drinking, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Isaiah 47, God tells us why He formed Israel and the implication is why He formed all of His people. Why He created us. And He said, I created them for my glory. We are to be displaying the goodness and the glory of God as Christians everywhere that we go. This means we're to live our lives in such a way in which we're pointing people beyond our circumstances, beyond us, and constantly onto the Lord. So our goal, here it is, is to make Jesus look spectacular to the world. And watch this, when you suffer well, 
And when you suffer with hope, and when you suffer with joy, and when you suffer with trust, people are watching you. (laughs) And they're mesmerized. They're scratching their heads going, why aren't you losing your mind? Rachel, you've been given this uh, prognosis. And I know the, the, the other women and men at the hospital are going, why are you not losing it? You know why she's not losing it? You know why she's got joy? Because Jesus is enough. Hallelujah. Of course, when when you've got perfect health and when your family's getting along and you've got a bank account full of money, of course you can say God is good. And you ought to say God is good in those times. Anybody could say that. But when you're in the valley... And all hell is breaking loose in your life. And you say, hey, Jesus is still enough. He's still precious. You know what you're doing in that moment? You are showing a lost, dark world how wonderful your Savior is. And it is so God-glorifying. It is so God-glorifying. So we can rejoice in suffering because it is a means of glorifying God, don't, please don't complain in your dark seasons. Don't grumble when things aren't going your way. Lead people to Christ by the way you respond to suffering. Number five, our Christian suffering reminds us that we will be spared from the worst of suffering. We will be spared from the worst of suffering. Watch this, verse 17, for it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will, become, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So remember, God's judgment on the church now, it's a purifying judgment. It's a purifying fire. It's not going to consume us. It's not going to end us. Yet Peter reminds us that the ungodly, the unrepentant sinner will experience a much worse suffering, a consuming suffering that will destroy them, that will be pain to them for all of eternity. And from that, to God's glory, we are spared. By the way, this is why we ought to love people enough to tell them the truth, because I'd much rather you be mad at me now than get to judgment and be mad at me and say, why didn't you tell me? Because I didn't want my name printed in the paper. I didn't want somebody to be mad at me. No. We can rejoice in suffering. Because we know, though life may be painful at times, just remember this, you will never experience the worst suffering that will ever exist. Number six, final point. We can rejoice in suffering and persecution because we can trust the faithfulness of God. Verse 19 Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. Isn't that interesting there? According to God's will. We act like God's surprised when something happens to us. When we suffer according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator. It's interesting to me here that that Peter doesn't use the word Lord. He doesn't say entrust your souls in suffering to the Lord, to the King. He says to the Creator. I think he's saying here that the one who created you, the one who breathed life into you, he knows what's best for you. And though you may not understand the situation you're in, you can trust him that he wants the best for you. He is a faithful God. And the trials we face 
shall not overcome us. When Jesus prays in the garden just before his arrest, he cries out, Father, if you're willing, willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Oh, church, that we would have that kind of faith. Not demanding our way of God, but saying, Lord, nothing wrong with praying for trials to go away. Nothing wrong with that. We should. And we should pray in faith. But if the Lord has a reason and a purpose for us going through that, we just got to trust Him and say, Lord, well, I don't know why you're letting me go through this. But I just know I can trust you because you are a faithful God. Has anybody been able to see that in your life, God's faithfulness? We can rejoice in suffering because of the faithfulness of God. Now, for all of these reasons and more, we ought to be a people of joy no matter what. In the context, again, Peter is talking mainly here about persecution. I feel that these truths can be applied to any kind of Christian suffering. But you might say, this is, listen, this is message 17 in 1 Peter. We've been talking about lessons for living in, as misfits for 17 weeks. And you may say, come on. I mean, we live in America. How much are we going to be persecuted? Probably none of us are going to lose our lives today or next week or probably ever in this country because of our faith. But friends, I want you to know there is a measure of persecution that is growing by the day. If you stand up for biblical values and for biblical truth, you will be hated. And it is a sign that you truly belong to Jesus. I do not pick out sins. Sin is sin is sin is sin. If somebody's a habitual liar, that's as big of a deal to me as an adulterer. Somebody's a murderer or a thief or whatever it is, it's sin. It breaks the heart of God and He wants better for you. My job is not to judge the world. I do not expect lost people to act like saved people. But it's time for people in the church to speak truth. We've got to speak truth in the house of God. So this, this idea in the church where if you say you love Jesus, anything goes, it's bull. It's not biblical. Let me just read you here out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous, don't miss this, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Those who live and walk in unrighteousness, they will, the, the, the unregenerate, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Hear me. This is not one senior. This is a list. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters. Anybody who puts something before the Lord, that's idolatry. Money, family, whatever it is. No, God's got to be your God or he's, not, he, he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Folks, it couldn't be clearer. Don't get mad at me. This is what the Bible says. And watch what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you, which implies when you're a Christian, you're not supposed to be living this way anymore. And I don't care what the world does. Listen, I, I, I do care because I care about them. But what I'm saying is my job is not to judge them. Listen, I, I have people, friends of mine, that I would call friends who are not saved that live in all kinds of sins. And I just want to be with them. I want to I be relational with them so that they can see the light of Jesus in me, but I also want to love them enough to tell them the truth. This is, the, this is June, right? And it's been deemed as Pride Month. And so we're supposed to say, listen, Pride Month. So here's what, if we're loving, what we're supposed to do is say, hey, everything's okay. That's not what the scripture says. So there's this hashtag now, love wins. And essentially the meaning is this. If you accept any lifestyle 
That's loving. Friends, if you are a Christian and you really believe the Bible says what it says, that is not love winning. People will hate you now if you stand up for truth. In the church, we need to stand up for truth. The culture changes, the Bible doesn't. Some of you read, I was quoted in a blog this week. I'm a former leader of our church. I'm not going to say the name. If you read it, it's out there. It says public knowledge. And it says, this is somebody who's left our church and is living a certain lifestyle that, is, that, that we would call sinful. And this person says, I've never felt so close to the Lord, essentially. And then I'm quoted as saying, my name's not used, but I said this all the time, that God has not called us to be happy. He's called us to be holy. And this person says, I don't, I don't believe that anymore. So how do I respond? Am I mad? Am I, do, I, do I hate this person? Oh, I, no. As God is my witness. Last night, last night, I'm trying to sleep to be rested for you today to be able to deliver the word to you, and I can't sleep. It was at 12.30 last night. Some of you know me. My bedtime's 9 o'clock. I'd go to bed at 7 if I could. Anybody with me? Here's what I was. I was at, we have a chase in our living room, and I sat there on my knees, brokenhearted, bent over the chase lounger there, and I just said, Lord, have mercy. Bring conviction. Bring repentance. Don't let them be deceived. My heart is a pastor. It's torn in two. And I will get somebody to write me or to call me or to Facebook me about this message. I'm not being ugly, but I'm just saying in the end, you'll thank me. If we stand up for truth, friends, you are going to face exactly what we've been studying in 1 Peter. People will hate you. Persecution will come. No matter what life brings, if I'm persecuted this week for this, I'm going to have to live this out. Listen, but I'm an ambassador for truth, and we are to speak the truth in love. In love. And I hope that's how it comes across today. Whatever you go through this week, you can have joy.